The Gospel of John, starting in chapter 14. Remember, Jesus and his disciples had entered the upper room, and they are having their last supper. And so the next four chapters are his teaching, one last you know, large, long teaching uh, before you know, they're going to, uh, most of it's while they're doing supper, some of it's while they're walking to Gethsemane, and then we get to Gethsemane, and then, you know, he's captured by Judas and the temple guards, and then the we're heading to the cross at that point. So, this part, they're still still there in the upper room, and he's teaching. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. So he knows what's about to happen. He knows it's going to freak out his disciples. Because even though he's told them, they still don't understand he's about to be executed. But he says, don't be troubled by it. Believe in God. God is doing these things, and he's more powerful than your imaginations of what's happening here, or my body, or or anything else. He says, believe in me also, for the Father has prepared me for this, and I am in the Father's will. He says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Um... So, you know, different translations say many houses or many mansions or whatever. But, but these, are, these are those people who give themselves completely to God. So he's not saying you're the dwelling places, but that's the implication. And he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. So he's going in order to enable the coming of the Holy Spirit that they will be filled with the Spirit so that they could be like Him. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, He's enabling their being filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can have the fullness of God and Christ dwelling in them. Of course, this is opened up to us as well. That we, if, if we die to ourselves, die to this world, give ourselves completely to him, he will transform us and fill us with the Holy Spirit such that the fullness of God fills us. And, and then we are a dwelling place of God in the earth. So that where Jesus is, see, Jesus was alive when he was saying this, right? He says, where I am didn't say where I'm going to be. He says, where I am, there you may be also. So for him, for them, it's the future. He's using future tense for them. For himself, he's using, he's saying, where I am now, you may be. He's saying, I'm going to enable you to be where I am now. And you know the way where I am going. So he's enabling a, a, a kingdom life for others, because he's living the fullness of this. He was not carrying around the burden of sin, the consequences of sin with himself, but he had to be the propitiation of that sin 
so that we could enter into the fullness of that life and be indwelt with the Holy Spirit just as he was. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, One of my often repeated verses from the Bible. So he he is the way in order to get into this reality that he's just described. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. So... We have to follow him. You know, elsewhere he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Um, We must follow him in the way that he is going, this narrow path. He is all truth. Anything that's not of him is not the truth. We must uh, submit ourselves to that truth, that understanding and that reality in order to come into this way. And anything that does not fit into the truth that he teaches must die it must be left behind and the life so as we come into his way we are actually living the life that he has enabled and provided this is not the same as a carnal life so what happens when we when we first see the kingdom we kind of have an understanding that this this other reality is there um you know, it, it it's not necess- doesn't even necessarily come with salvation. We can be saved and believe in an afterlife that Jesus has prepared a way for us for and enabled us for without even seeing that there is a kingdom. But if we come to the understanding that there is a kingdom life, a kingdom of heaven life on earth, then we see it. Well, that's, that's good. Um, but that's not living it. We must submit ourselves fully to the process that God lifts us up, that we enter into this. We must practice the realities of this way in order that we become uh, a transformed person who is, you know, begins to experience a heavenly reality. Again, it's enabled by God, but we have to kind of practice and understand a life of faith where we look to the father in everything we and we expect the father to fulfill his word in our life and we uh, begin to see that happening if you when we read acts which will be the next book we read um, we'll see that the people and this is actually common with denominations too historically um, the the people following this way didn't call themselves christians um, they weren't looking for a label. They had a descriptive term. They said the ones who are living according to this way. And so it, it was a descriptive term of how they were living, not who they were. They weren't looking for a label of who they were. But it's just just the tendency of people to want to put labels on people. And so people put li- label of Christian on them. And they were fine. Okay, sure, calls Christians. And, and that stuck, and people began to be called Christians. But as far as how they labeled themselves, they said they were living according to a way. That's really powerful. It says, it, it's, you know, it's not who, who I am. It's how I am. I'm living in this way. Jesus says, if you want to enter into this life, uh, you have to go according to my way. No one comes to the Father 
but through me. If we want to come close to the Father, my family devotional yesterday, the Lord kind of led it, ended up being a lot about uh, coming up Mount Zion. Um, If we want to come to the mountaintop, then we have to live according to this way, according to his truth. His truth always supersedes any other human wisdom that, that might still have hold of us. Live according to his life, a laid down sacrificial life and enter into his way that we continually practice and live according to his way. Seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What he's explaining to Philip here is that you can't actually see the Father. He's he's bigger than anything to be encapsulated. I mean, if he wanted to be encapsulated in a in some form, then certainly he can, but the form that he chose, I mean, he, he is, he did choose a form. He chooses mankind to be his family. And so although he is spirit, he chooses to have his spirit encased in mankind. And so the first one to live completely according to his will was Jesus. And Jesus had the fullness of God in him. That doesn't make him the same as God. It makes him filled with God. If we want to see the Father, then look at Jesus. He's saying, look at me. And you see the Father. You see the fullness of the Father. You see everything that he is as can be comprehended by a man in me. Because I am the fullness of that. And I have submitted my life to the will of the Father so that all of creation can know that I I am. And that's what all mankind is called to. But because all mankind has turned away and rebelled against the Father, I must now go to the cross and be the Passover lamb, the sacrifice for all mankind so that anyone who wants to follow after this way and choose to be a part of God's plan can do so through my sacrifice. He says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We're going to see this repeated over and over and over again. And he's going to share that with us as we we go through. But this oneness, this unity of Jesus and the Father. And again, we're going to be invited into this so that you know the the father doesn't choose to be in dirty vessels now he 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 does his grace is boundless and he will choose to 
come into us in small ways, which seem dramatic when we, when we first come to him, because we're saved by the blood of Christ. And so we, we have this uh, option, this core that can be filled with Jesus, with the Father. But then as we give ourselves more and more, he transforms us. So more of the world, worldliness, fallenness, you know, more of carnality is removed for us, from us. And more and more of his spirit fills us. And then Jesus introduces us to kind of uh, levels of faith and belief of receiving the spirit. He says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? He says, you should believe because you receive the words. He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So if, if you can receive on that higher spiritual level, the words should be enough because the words are conveyed by the Spirit. And if you're capable of receiving that Spirit, then that should be enough. Um, he says, but then believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, and so if you can't believe that, believe because of the works. He says, there are astounding miracles being done here that you cannot explain with your fallen mind. It is impossible for man to do these things. And so that should get your attention. And if you can't believe because you can simply receive the spirit of truth, then believe because your mind has gotten jumbled up like a pretzel and cannot make <laughs> this true. I, I know for me, when I came to the Lord, it, it was in large part because of this, not because of you know, not because of seeing miracles, but because of just studying the scripture. I think I'm kind of unique that way. Or studying, um, not scripture so much, but the truth of scripture and all the apologetics that point to um, this actually being a true story um, versus a, a you know long-told fairy tale that had lost meaning in over thousands of years. It's kind of a, the one-worldly understanding that I just took on faith must be true and then I had a friend begin praying for me and sharing apologetics with me and at first I just started twisting my version of what must be a real story and eventually I you know I can look back and see the Lord the Lord speaking to me but at the time I, I viewed it as my own logic and I came to the point of thinking well this story that I'm creating for an, an understanding of everything is far more bizarre than just accepting that this is a true story. And so that's how I gave my life to Christ. And um, and then he began, I didn't know, I had no idea he was going to work on me and change me. And I didn't have any spiritual understanding. Um, but it, But then he began to do that. And so my life began changing without me even realizing that was supposed to happen. Um, but it's similar to believing because of works. He says, if you can't believe on this higher level because of, and we should all come to that higher level, but hey, we, we get in the door however we get in the door. What, whatever way we can come to believe, that's all we need to start, right? He says, if you can't believe from that higher, just receiving the truth as spirit, then then look at these works and they, they should kind of confound your mind and open you up to the possibility that there are things going on here that you don't understand and believe because of these miracles. So whatever that door is for you. I once met a man who heard, he was into music and he heard people 
playing music and so he just was drawn to it he came to it. it turned out to be like a church band practicing and he basically came to faith because he liked the music which is totally bizarre to me but obviously as I just described how I came I mean that's just totally opposite of me but hey what whatever gets you in the door but then once you're in the door you know that's that's where it all begins and can can you can hang out at the bottom of the mountain or you can climb all the way up you know how much of God do you want in your life I described having a very rash ration based um, logic based um, if ration is quite a word that way rationality <laughs> I think I think I gotta put the ality on there rationality or logic um, based coming to the Lord but you, but you, a life of faith isn't that way so you gotta go beyond that. I've had to go beyond that um, because life in the spirit is based on faith not on logic and so you know speaking very much to myself and you know logic based understanding of life that's a very Greek system so when it when the scripture talks about a war between the sons of Zion and the sons of Greece, that's for our time. And the sons of Greece are not the good guys in that war. And so as one that comes from that kind of internal makeup in the flesh, um, I will tell you, we must go beyond that. If that's you, and that's not everybody, that's a certain personality type. But in, in general, it describes our culture. Um, that we must go beyond that to a life of faith things of the spirit are not rationality based they're not necessarily logic based now you can look at a lot of things and come to the lord by logic as i just described but a life of the spirit is goes far beyond the limits of logic um as an example something i used to be into a long time ago and, and sort of came into a spirituality before finding the correct spirituality I don't even know if it's correct to say spirituality, but coming into some sort of uh, deism, certainly I was never atheist. There are things out there in physics and chemistry and biology. If you go way beyond what you find in high school textbooks to the limits of what they've discovered in recent decades, um, logic starts breaking down. Two opposing things that should be impossible are both true. It starts getting really weird when you get to the limits of those areas of science. And so, for instance, really, really high-level scientists are never atheists because there's stuff happening that, that, that cannot be explained logically. It doesn't mean they necessarily follow the Lord. They often are, you know, different things. But they believe in something because it cannot be explained by logic. And so... The way of the Spirit is the same way. It's a life of faith. It's the sons of Zion. It is stepping into a way that goes beyond the limits of our, our, our the, you know, the confines of our brain, of our physical reality. Anything that we experience physically, that's, that, there's one glory in that, but there's a much higher glory available to us, and we must appropriate that by faith. It must be given by God. And he says, if you believe in me, if he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. So he says, everything, you know, he says, 
maybe some of you believe specifically because of the works. Well, you, if you believe in me and enter into this way and this life I've described, you, and of course all those there did, uh, you will do greater works than me. You know, there's there's 12 of you. That doesn't mean specifically you're going to do every specific thing. Jesus walked on water, so I need to walk on water. Well, are, do you need to walk on water? Is God calling you to walk on water? I mean, it's not like a specific checklist that each one of us has to do. However, if you look at the entire body of Christ, each one will do all the, I think, as far as I know, I've heard rumors of each one doing everything that he's done. Uh, I mean, not each one, but one here and one there doing this or that. I've heard of people walking on water uh, when they were working in flood areas of Africa and needing. Certainly have multiple food miracles. Um, I've heard of people raised from the dead. Um, many from three different sources of people uh, experiencing that. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen most of those things, but... God absolutely can and will do things as is appropriate. But that doesn't mean, um, again, people who chase after gifts get caught up in the gifts. That is a wrong turn. We are to seek after the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Seek this way. Seek this truth. Seek this life. Yes, gifts should be a normal part of life. But as far as the particulars, don't worry. I mean, there's nothing wrong with praying for for a particular gift. And certainly Paul encourages us to pray for gifts. Um, but don't get hung up on gifts because that, that short circuits. That's like getting hung up on salvation. It's not entering into the fullness of his life. It's camping out at one truth instead of embracing the entire truth. So he's just told us, he goes to the Father, and then he says, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So he, we know that Jesus has glorified the Father, as we talked about yesterday. He says, now, I, you know, as I said at his right hand, he wants to glorify me. So you, when you ask things in my name... He wants to give me that glory, so he will give you what you want. Now, Jesus is going to expand on that and multiply that here in the in this same talk as we get into future chapters. But as a starting point, when you ask for things in my name, because the Father wants to glorify me, he will give it to you. Now, again, does that mean every time anyone prays for something in the name of Jesus, it happens? No, it it. It is a condition of entering into this life in, in general terms. However, it can be a first-day Christian who prays in the name of Jesus, and if it's the Father's will to do a thing, he will do it. So there's no rules. We, it, getting, trying to put the Lord in a box never works. But in general, we have to live according to this life, and we will see more and more of these things. I, in my own experience, and that season may be coming to an end, so I would not recommend this at all. But in my early days of discovering life in the Spirit and gifts, man, I chased after them, just as I'm explaining not to do here now. Um, I did. I went all over the country, a um, little bit over the world, and I, I was hungry for these things. I was seeking after these things, and I saw more of them at that time. Um, the God was God was gracious to me to to show me many of these things. 
Um, but as I get more discipleship in my life and more understand the way of the Spirit, it's a, again, it's a short-circuited life. It's camping out. It's getting a little further up the mountain than those who camp out at Salvation, but then camping out there instead of going all the way up the mountain. And if really, if you want the greatest miracles in your life, you got to go all the way to the top of the mountain. But by the time you get there, you won't even care about those things. But they will just be a natural thing as you, as you enter into a life completely dominated by faith and watching and wondering at what the Father does. Internal, I see a lot more internal miracles. The things that, no, if I explain, people would probably could easily argue away. Whereas in the early days when I was chasing after those things, I saw, I saw things that anyone there seeing them could understand. This is not explainable. Whereas now I experience far more miracles, but they're just little normal parts of everyday life of talking with the Father, listening to the Father, praying to the Father, and seeing Him do little things around me as a normal course of life. This is life in the Spirit. And He has to work on you in little areas before He can work on you in big areas. If you see, um, if you see the, you know, the stories of the great heroes of faith, of David, of the two I always mention because they're too most obvious, but you see it in a lot of cases. But certainly in David... And in Joseph, they went through a lot of really difficult years being trained up in hard circumstances in order to be elevated, that they could be a great blessing to, you know, an entire people, to an entire kingdom, uh, to the entire world. Uh, this, this transformational process has to happen. This living and seeing the Lord work in small ways and building up in faith in order to expect Him to do anything, to trust Him over what we see with our eyes or experience with our, you know, our hands or hear with our ears, that we believe in Him over everything. And we begin to just not believe in a theoretical level that He is supreme, but in an experiential level that He is supreme over anything and any expectation other then the, the Lord is in charge of this situation, is a fallen earthly reality. And that we must enter into the reality that God is in control and we are His. And as we enter into that life, He will certainly use us in, in mighty ways to bless others, to glorify His name, to bring others into that glory. So He's just told them, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then, but he's just about to put a condition on it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you want to enter in this life, you have to obey him. You have to live according to the law of the spirit. Live according to the father's will. Live according to Jesus's will, which Jesus emptied himself of everything except for the father's will. So if we're not living according, a lot of people like to grab hold of Jesus and claim him, but they don't want to live according to his commandments. Well, you don't get him. You can claim him. I mean, entire religions have been built on co-opting Jesus. Mormonism has done this. Islam has done this. And quite frankly, the denominations have all done this. 
um, to a lesser degree. I, you know, I, so, some mentioned aren't saved at all. Some mentioned are. Some have gone a little further. And so I'm not trying to equate those all as being the same. But I am saying it's the natural heart of fallen man to be in rebellion. It's the, it's the way of Satan to twist and turn and to convince us that a religion is a satisfactory way of worshiping God. And then we can go about our own life. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This means a way of life, of living according to the way he is taught that we should live. Salvation is a really big deal. And at the end of the day, um, if you're on the mountain and, and life comes to an end, you get into the afterlife on the good side of the ledger and you absolutely, that's the biggest distinction between being on that side and being on the other side of the ledger and spending eternity in hell. That's a really, really big deal. So I don't talk about the value of salvation often um, because there's so much more that he intends for his people. And that and that's what he is. That's what I'm about is the fullness of getting to the top of the mountain, helping others get to the top of the mountain. Um, but the first and greatest of all miracles is Jesus' blood saves us for a life and eternity with God versus the alternative from where we all came from, which was an eternity without God. And so salvation is extremely important. So I just listed a bunch of groups that some are saved and some are not. And um, I don't mean to equate those, but I do. I am equating the fact that many, perhaps most, per, perhaps almost all, use Jesus for our own purposes, instead of submitting our lives fully to him to enter into his life. God has a life planned for us. Do we accept that? Do we willfully go like sheep to the slaughter into that life? Or do we grab hold of him with one hand and grab hold of the world with the other and decide we want both? We don't get both. Uh, we can have, we can claim him and, and live a worldly life or we can let go of the worldly life and enter into his life. It's the only option. So how does that come about? Well, he starts to tell us in 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. So Jesus is going in order to make the indwelling of the Holy Spirit possible. This, the Spirit had come and, t and touched and been with for a while many prophets of old, and even David and even Saul, uh, that, that for a while they would have him. But then we would see that they would complain that the Spirit had left them. He would come and go in order to bring about God's will on the earth at a time. But his purpose for mankind was to have a people continually filled with his spirit so that the fullness of who he is dwelt in a people, in a family, so that all creation could enjoy the direct, visible wisdom and truth of God and the ruling and reigning of a people over his creation. He made a creation in order to have this, this wonderful reality of life he made a certain race, a type of creature 
called man to rule it and reign it as his family, a family of priests and kings. And so he will make this about. He didn't change his mind from Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve rebelled, he didn't change his mind. When the people of Israel refused to come up the mountain, he didn't change his mind. He sent Jesus and some people came. There was an early rain, right? But then there's been a long, quiet period. And then the latter rain will be greater than the early rain. The um, the latter temple, the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former temple. Um, this is a reality God has promised. That the fullness of his kingdom people will come about. And again, we're, we're coming up here starting this weekend for the holiday that commemorates this time. That has yet to be fulfilled. But it's not about a holiday. So I'm, I mean, the holiday I'm excited about. It's important, these things. God does important things on these days. But it's about eternal people of God being filled with him every day, everywhere. So it's not just one Jesus walking the earth. It's multitudes of people filled with Jesus walking the earth. Jesus says this, the people of the world cannot receive the Spirit because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So as you enter into my life, that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a visible thing that's obvious to look at somebody. And that uh, people of the world won't even know it when they see you. But you will know it because he will be in you. And you will be living this life of unity with God in you. 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I in I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. I will not leave you as orphans. It's just really powerful. Most of the people of the world have an orphan spirit. And so a son has uh, a, a pleasant upbringing. An, an orphan is always scared and uh, worried. and has to, uh, An orphan has to scrounge for himself. A son knows his parents are going to provide for him. An orphan, when he gets out in the world, has to make a way for himself. A son knows he's, he has a place. He's inheriting the, the relationships, the assets, the societal structure of the family. An orphan has to create all that. So an orphan ends up always uh, whining and complaining that life isn't fair or... Um, you know, working really hard to accomplish something and and being proud of being a self-made man and having a chip on his shoulder. And the the orphan spirit is a powerful spirit. You can have different outcomes in life and still be under the orphan spirit. And mankind is under an orphan spirit because we divorced ourselves from our father. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphan. I will help you to come in to being a son of God so that you have all the rights and privileges of your father who created everything and is in control of everything and you enter into this life into this family so after a little while the world will no longer see me but you will see me 
because I live, you will live also. And so he says, you know, I'm going to die. You won't see me. I'm going to come back. You are going to see me. Uh, and, but then because I'm, I have this life, I'm going to be able to give you this life. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You will begin to understand new spiritualities that you just are incapable, you know, as he's speaking, they're incapable of understanding these things. But he said, you're going to come and understand. And we see in the scriptures, it's mentioned in the Gospels, and uh, I think in Acts maybe too, that Jesus taught things that later the Holy Spirit reminded them, oh yeah, I remember when Jesus said this, you remember when Jesus did this? And then they're looking at the scriptures and they're realizing, whoa, look at all the things he said and did. We just didn't even understand them when they happened. But the Holy Spirit was there to teach them. And so he says, you know, you will have understanding of all these things that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. So we're all in complete unity. That is such a powerful thing. That is the purpose of God for mankind. But what does that look like? Is that just because we we claim Jesus uh, through a baptism and we have salvation uh, and we kind of go about our way? He says, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. So there's there's a little bit of a catch here. It's not just a slogan we get to wear around. It's a life that we enter into, that we enter into the commandments that he gives us, that we enter into the life that he leads us to. Then we receive the fullness of what he's promising here. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. We enter into the same crucified life that Jesus did. We don't have the same role of being the the Passover lamb. We're not the Passover lamb. He is but we are called to enter into the same crucified life that he lived. And then we're actually giving God that same glory we talked about yesterday that Jesus gave God. The glory of being his wisdom being fulfilled in his creation. That man truly can live not for himself as every other creature in this world does. Both animals live for themselves. The, the fallen angels lived for themselves. Mankind has been in rebellion living for himself. But here, those who follow this life of Jesus lay down their lives. Do not live for themselves, but live for the Father and every good word out of his mouth. And the Father loves him for it, loves you for it. And Jesus says, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus makes himself known to us when we live for him. Now Judas, a uh, different Judas, not Iscariot, uh, the good Judas <laughs> said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answers, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So again, he is accentuating the point that if we love him, we keep his word. We live according to his word. So we, we don't change it. We don't decide we have a better idea. We don't put it on a shelf and say, I agree wholeheartedly with it. And then I'm going to live according to the ways of the world. He says, keep the word, live the word. 
and my father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. This is such a powerful promise. It sounds, of course, the flesh doesn't like to die, right? And we have to allow the flesh to die, which means our own desires, our own life, our own ideas of what we deserve or what we should have or what we want to have in the future. We have to lay all that down in order to receive him. But what do we receive in exchange? Jesus and the Father living in us in fullness, not just a little bit, the fullness of him. What could be better than that? What could your flesh imagine that could be better than the fullness of Jesus and the fullness of the Father living in you? There's nothing better. And what we come to realize as we live this life is the more we give up for him, the more he does abide in us and the more glorious that life is than anything that we did imagine. And we start to realize the exchange was was 100% benefit to us. We start to realize the things we gave up, man, we don't even care about those things anymore. But the things that we gained are of eternal value and we care a great deal about us. We also find out it's not that everything our flesh wants, he, he, he disallows. Um, he, he, he knows the needs of our flesh and he will take care of them. But we have to let go of every need and be willing to let go of every need. And then he'll give us as he sees fit. Just like a, a toy might not be of, of any great eternal value for my children, but if it doesn't hurt them, I, I enjoy giving them a toy. I enjoy giving them a gift. Uh, it's the same with our Father. He enjoys giving us good gifts along the way, so long as they're not in the way of us living the full life the Father has for us. 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's. So he says, if you don't live according to this way, you're not keeping my words, you don't get this promise. It's pretty cut and dry. Um, and he says, this is not just me speaking, this is the Father speaking. So he's, he's saying, this is a really serious word. It's not just me saying it. The Father himself is saying it, and I'm testifying to what the Father is saying. So he said elsewhere multiple times that he doesn't speak anything on his own. He only speaks what the Father is saying. But here he's saying, this is an important point. You must live according to the truth and the way that I teach if you want the promises. And these are so important, I'm going to again remind you, I'm not speaking my own words. The Father is saying this very thing. 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So we just talked about that. But the Holy Spirit will remind you because they're not receiving what he's saying right now. He says the Holy Spirit will remind you later. And then you will have me, the Spirit, the Father, Jesus living in you. And then you will be able to appropriate these truths. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to peace. So people out in the world claiming peace, peace, peace. They don't know the Lord's peace. And, and he says that's not the peace I'm talking about. I'm giving you real peace from the Father. Peace that no matter what disturbances are going out in the world, you have peace abiding in you and you're not troubled by them. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. 
Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. So he says, I've spoken to you all these truths while I'm with you. The Holy Spirit will remind you of them, and the Holy Spirit is sent in my name. He will teach you all things and bring remembrance to what I have taught you. Peace be with you. Do not let your heart be troubled. You, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. He says, if you have true understanding of what I'm doing, you won't, you won't cry when I'm crucified because you will understand I am actually achieving the greatest glory for myself, for the Father, and for all mankind. And so, although this is going to be difficult for me and I wish there were another way, This is the way into the Father's glory. This is the way to open this life that I've been living unto you. And there's no greater joy than opening this way for you. And so you would rejoice too if you had understanding of these things because you wouldn't value the flesh. You would value the life. In the same way, you should come to learn not to value your own flesh, but to value the life of God in you. He says, if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. He says, I'm going to the Father. I'm about to experience paradise with the Father. There's nothing greater. The ultimate mountaintop. And the Father is greater than I. Again, he's very clear that the Father and Jesus are separate. um, But they're unified. He's also very clear in in this discussion that they're in complete unity. One in the other. But the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. He says, you know, you can understand the fullness of wisdom that can be had in a man. Because I understand all these things before I do them. So that you should be encouraged. Because the same spirit that is giving me all these truths, all this understanding, all this life, is going to be given to you. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. So Satan is on the march with uh, Judas Iscariot and the people. And they're, you know, they're maybe not exactly having started walking yet, but they're on their way. And so he says, you know, he's coming. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. What is, what is the way he shows the world that he loves the Father? He does exactly what the Father commanded him. Did Adam do exactly what the Father commanded him? No. The fa- he, Adam had it simple. He just had to not do one thing, and he could do anything else. But he chose to rebel and go his own way, and so that broke the promise of the Father with mankind. Jesus had to restore that promise for mankind by doing exactly what the Father commanded him even to the point of his own death. And so he says, this is the way that I show the wisdom of the Father, the love of the Father. I show the world who the Father is, that he had one perfect son, and he had him die in order that others can live and join this family, that the Father is glorified through his wisdom that goes beyond any comprehension of human wisdom and then he says get up let's go from here so this is apparently when they start walking into uh the you know the garden 
Uh, and we're going to see he's going to start talking about vines and stuff. It's probably as they're walking through it, he's pointing out the, the different plants and he's teaching them as he walks through it. And so that looks like this might be a one chapter a day sort of section of the Bible. And uh, that is it for today. God bless you.